Hey everyone, Dave Broadbeck here. The lecture you're about to hear is for psychology, also biology, uh, 3506 neuropharmacology, and it's for the, uh, I guess, winter of 2020. Okay, so today we're going to talk about psychomotor stimulants. Uh, so that includes things like uh, meth and... Uh, Cocaine. Ecstasy is a weird choice, a weird thing, because ecstasy is a stimulant. Ecstasy is also a hallucinogen. I'm going to talk about ecstasy now, and probably a little bit when we talk about uh, hallucinogenic drugs. Uh, so uh, that's Pablo Escobar, who I mentioned previously before I started recording. Uh, that's the guy who basically got the turned the cocaine business from South America from being something that was small time to something where he almost ran Colombia. Note the size of the reward. Right? That's the largest reward the U.S. government has ever offered for someone until they were looking for a guy named Bin Laden. It's $2.7 million, Bin Laden was $15 million. But, and one could make the point, perhaps, that Pablo Escobar was more dangerous. Here we have some cocaine. Here we have some crack cocaine. And on the bottom right there, various ecstasy things. So, so basically, amphetamine is discovered 1940s, 1930s, 40s. Um, and it's used as diet pills originally. Um, there's two different isomers. You know what an isomer is? It's just a a molecule that has a mirror image. They look exactly the same as it once flipped. Uh, both together is called benzedrine and just the D is dexedrine. Dexedrine was the one especially that was used as a, uh, a diet pill. Uh, often in little black capsules that said dex on them. I don't know how I know that. Um, the thing about that is that eventually there was people discovered, of course, that these things are also stimulants. They're fun. They're also, like I said, they're, they're, they're appetite suppressants, which is great, but eventually the appetite suppressing goes away and then you just want to take benzodrine or bexedrine. Yay. Used for a lot of other things, too. Uh, militaries have used them. Uh, our military does not use... Uh, pills like that. I know the American military in the past has used pills called stop pills and go pills. Uh, stops are benzodiazepines and goes are amphetamines. Uh, they aren't used very much anymore. They were implicated in a, a, a friendly fire incident in Afghanistan when four Canadian soldiers were killed by an American pilot, but it turns out he hadn't taken those pills. That was originally implicated. He didn't. Okay. Make that clear. Uh, our military has found through studies that actually soldiers, even if they're really, really, really tired, make better decisions and are better soldiers, even if they don't take amphetamines. So our guys don't do this. Uh, illegally. Some do, because they're people. Uh, so ecstasy, DMA. Ecstasy is, again, as I mentioned, it's a weird one. I'm not going to go... It's very closely related to amphetamine. 
methamphetamine is speed. And then you can, of course, make different versions of this that are sort of smokable into little rocks. So that's uh, crystal meth, or ice, as it used to be called. It was called when it first came out. They rebranded it. Methamphetamine is Ritalin. Wait, Ritalin is a stimulant? But I thought kids that were hyper took Ritalin. Yep. You know why they're hyper? Because they can't concentrate on anything. When you, when you have, when your attention span is really short, you do all kinds of crazy things and you don't concentrate on your schoolwork, right? Makes sense? So it, the theory about ADHD is that these kids don't have enough circulation of certain neurotransmitters, the ones that are released by methamphetamine, um, which causes them to be hyperactive. So this focuses their attention. We'll talk today about how, in fact, in small doses, these drugs can be great for attention. Um, so anybody who's telling you, because you know that I hear people say that uh, all they're doing is trying to drug our children to keep them calm. They're giving them speed. That's not going to keep anybody calm. So you hear people say that, you know, it's like they're giving them Valium. No, Valium would be bad. You know, it would work with cigarettes. Just hand out smokes to kids. I kid, I kid, because I love. Um, but it's a stimulant that actually probably would work. You can hand out caffeine pills, probably. But Ritalin seems to work pretty well for most people uh, that have, uh, most kids. A lot of adults that have ADHD get over it in a way. They, when I say get over it, they still have it, but they learn how to cope. They learn coping. I'm sure there are people in this room that have ADHD and have learned to cope with it and don't take drugs. But some people don't learn those coping skills, or they can't, and it's no problem. They take Ritalin, and they're fine. The problem is, of course, you've given your kid methylphenidrate, and then you kind of get little Johnny to go to sleep at night. Not going to be so easy getting at the right dose. Ephedrine uh, comes from a plant, so it's called natural. Um, Then there's pseudoephedrine, which is like ephedrine, but it's synthetic. Uh, it's in a lot of cold medications. There's cocaine, of course, which comes from coca leaves, grown in the Andes. And cathinone, which is something we don't see much here, it's mostly seen in Somali immigrant communities because that's where it comes from, that part of the world. It's a leaf, and it's chewed. And it's called, uh, well, I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that, because I don't speak, I speak English and French and a little bit of Latin. Uh, chat is how people often pronounce it, but I think it's more like, I can't do that, that phony. you ever watch that border security show? You often see them, which is a great show, right? People trying to smuggle things into the country. And every second episode, it's somebody trying to bring sausage into the country. Seriously, watch the show. Somebody's got sausage. And they're like, but I didn't think that was going to be a problem. It's like, even on the declaration form, it said meat. Do you have any meat? That's meat! Oftentimes, you'll see people, they got... It's funny. People are so... Of course, they don't show the people that are really good smugglers, I guess. Because they don't get caught. You know, some guys come back, where, where were you? I had a one-way, uh, 24 hours in Somalia. I'm back now. Here's my bags. It's just two garbage bags. I wonder what's in there. And they open up. Uh, it's popular in Eastern Europe. 
because um, it's cheap. You chew it. And the, the way it's taken in places like Somalia, from what I understand, it's kind of like the way people, farmers in the mountains of places like Colombia take cocaine. It's just, they chew the leaves a little bit. It, it's sort of, it's not unlike having coffee. It's when you concentrate stuff that's a problem. So they basically all operate on monoamines. Monoamine neurotransmitters. So epinephrine, norepinephrine, dopamine, serotonin. So you can see why they make stimulants. And which monoamine and how it works depends on the drug. So it's the, the end state always ends up being the same, and these drugs have very similar. So we can talk about them all at once, even though we're talking about like this is like a class of drugs. We talk, they, they they feel roughly the same. They all work somewhat differently. Okay. So for example, you can actually take a look and see. Here's a couple of graphs, or sorry, pictures. That's amphetamine. That's ecstasy. They're very similar chemicals. And the one on the right is cocaine. So those of you that really like organic chemistry, I'm sure this is really helping you. I'm sure we're all very big organic chemistry fans. I like organic chemistry. I'm glad I have some. Not meaning I study it. I'm glad there's actually organic chemistry happening in my body. Tough crowd today. Very serious people. Watch that documentary, perhaps. All sad. Um, so that's what I'm going to talk about ecstasy today, because the way it works is it there's one monoamine it acts on, and that's serotonin. But it's perfectly reasonable to talk about it in hallucinogenics, too, because it does cause hallucinations. Okay. So, a little bit of history. So, coca leaves in. South America, uh, before the Spanish came and you know wiped everyone out, um, people there were chewing cocoa. Okay. It's interesting because, of course, these are people that are not very high altitudes, and what this is doing is, is high altitudes make you tired. They're actually using it as a psychological tool. It's keeping them alert because they're the oxygen level, even though they're pretty much they're adapted to it. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's, oxygen level is lower because they're very high up, right? So you take these drug, this drug, and it's a very small amount. It's not like these guys are, are, are smoking crack. It's not like they were, or are, even to this day, you know, doing lines of cocaine. They're chewing on this leaf the same way you might, oh, chew tobacco, the same way you might have a cup of coffee or a cigarette, right? You can certainly have so much caffeine that you have we talk about caffeinism in the day. You certainly can smoke so much tobacco to get so much nicotine you can hallucinate. That's true. But typically you don't. So the same thing's happening here. They're taking small amounts of this. Right. So in the... Late 1800s, the active ingredient in these coca leaves was isolated. Uh, one of the, you, you may not know this, but very commonly what ends up happening here is that people, drugs in general, not just psychoactive drugs, 
they come from plants that people have known about. Uh, very often, sort of indigenous people have this sort of traditional knowledge about something. Oh, that's good for this. And then a drug company comes and says, well, let's find out what the, that in this is and see if we can make pills. I mean, you know, this makes sense, right? So many, many of the drugs that we take today, both sort of clinically, uh, but also just fun, were like indigenous peoples of various parts of the world knew about those drugs. Right? They knew about it uh, through just traditional knowledge. See, once you take cocaine, everything's great. I've seen people, I lived with people who took cocaine, lots of cocaine for a while. I never, I've never taken cocaine. I stay away from cocaine. Cocaine scares me. I'm, I'm hyper enough as it is. I don't, I don't need, I don't need that. I'll tell you more about some things about some roommates I had when I started graduate school later, because they showed many of the side effects I'll talk about. But they seem to really be having a good time. Then they'd sleep a lot. <laughs> so look at this list of famous people who took cocaine openly because it was legal. Okay? Robert Louis Stevenson. Freud. I guess you have to, if you're sitting around thinking, I guess I probably want to have sex with my mother and kill my father, that probably comes from like a coke-addled mind, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I know about the deals. I want to have sex with my mother and kill my father. Actually, most of these guys were rejected. By the way, when Freud came up with the theory of his, his wackadoodle, crazy, non-scientific bullshit theory, psychoanalysis, uh, he'd been off the cocaine for quite a while. Okay. Sherlock Holmes takes cocaine in some of the stories. Sharpens the mind. Tsar Nicholas II, the Tsar of all the Russias, the final monarch of Russia, openly took cocaine. And it's not like... No one was saying it was a secret and they were going to release it. And then he was yelling fake news. It wasn't like that. He was like, I take cocaine. It's good for me. It helped me rule Russia. That's my Tsar Nicholas II speaking English in Russia. Thank you very much. The one that gets me is Ibsen. You know, anybody ever, ever ever read an Ibsen play or seen one? Heinrich Ibsen, the most sad, depressing Norwegian. Um, there's one called Enemy of the People that is the most just depressing play. I think he was writing these plays when he was coming down. But um, so Ibsen was taking it. The Pope. Da, 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 da. You know, so. That's my impression of the Pope doing cocaine. Again, the Pope doing cocaine. Uh, but this was legal, first of all, and it was. These are not poor people. Today we would call these people privileged, wouldn't we? We got royalty. We got a guy who thinks he wants to have sex with his mother, so he's a little weird. But that's fine. We got the leader of one of the biggest religions in the world. 
we got a famous playwright. And they're like openly doing this. Openly. Because it's legal. And it makes you feel good. Uh, Freud described it as, as, as it made everything feel good. It, it made food taste better. It made his cares go away. Yeah. It's reinforcing. <laughs> of course it feels good. So we can sit here and make fun nowadays, but which is great, because I like making fun of Freud, but no one's going to talk about me in 100 years. Still, This is just to, just to give you an idea of, the, of the, the, the range of people that were doing this. It was, this was socially acceptable among rich white people. Yeah, there you go. In the history of drug use, you'll often find out that drugs are socially acceptable among rich white people, and then it turns out that people that are poorer and have darker skin take them, and then everybody there's a moral panic. The history of drug drug laws really is. Then it becomes big at the same time in the states. It's not as big a thing in the states. These these people are all European, but people are taking it in the states. But it's big in the states in the patent medicine industry. Patent medicines are fake, (laughs) fake medicine. So what they are typically, a guy shows up to your town. There's a Simpsons episode like this. Remember Homer and his father? There's a Simpsons episode of everything. It's been like 28 years. Um, Homer and his father go on the road selling their tonic. Remember that episode? Right. Uh, or... Cheers. Um, take less cocaine. Or there's a scene if you play, play video games, Red Dead Redemption, where they do patent medicine that shows up. Basically what these things are are um, the precursor of pop, first of all. But they tend to be things that have um, alcohol in them, so they got a bit of a check. They tend to have caffeine in them, and cocaine. So they feel good. And it makes you feel like all your, oh, my, my joints aren't hurting. Oh, I'm not depressed anymore. They're cure-alls. They're cure-alls because they're extremely reinforcing. Right, so you buy some, and then you find out actually that it's worthless, but that guy, he's left town, gone on to the next town to sell his stuff. So it's like Hell on Wheels, that show. With me, everything is just referencing television shows. I hope you figured that out by now. Here's some patent medicine. Well, you ever wonder why it's called Dr. Pepper? Because Dr. Pepper invented it. A doctor named Pepper invented this stuff that was like, it'll cure you, son. And so he had Dr. Pepper, right? What about Coca-Cola? What do you think Coca-Cola was? It had cocaine in it, it had caffeine in it, and wine, which was basically just grain alcohol. Why do you think it was sold in, and you see these old movies, and people are, 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 are getting pop in drugstores? Drugstores had soda fountains because they were selling this stuff as a, as a medicine. So they'd sell these syrups and they'd put them in soda water and they get, you don't want to drink this thick syrup. And that's that's why you would, it used to be sold in, 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 in drugstores. If you watch old movies in the 30s, people go to a drugstore and a drugstore looks like a diner. By the way, 
you know, Coca-Cola hasn't had cocaine in it in a very long time. Coca-Cola now claims that it never had cocaine in it, and that's just actually a complete lie. Uh, it did back in like the 1800s. I think it stopped having cocaine in it in the early 1900s. Pepsi-Cola. Cola nuts have to be caffeine. Pepsi had the enzyme pepsin in it. That's called Pepsi-Cola, which settles your stomach. Stuff that's in Pepto-Bismol. Amazing, right? So pop comes from people selling cocaine. Amazing. Question so far. All right. So Coca-Cola, of course, has become a big-time industry. A pop has. Here's the thing with the syrup. I like his cocaine Tuesday drops for your children. Cocaine is a local anesthetic. One of the amazing scenes in the movie Blow, which you're, if you're actually interested in cocaine, you should watch the movie Blow. It's a good movie. Uh, it's about Pablo Escobar. It's about the first American guy that was like his drug mule. He was played by Johnny Depp. He's amazing. And there's this scene where Bobcat Goldthwait snorts this cocaine, and he goes, I can't feel my face. When people snort cocaine, their nose goes numb. And in fact, while you, that's an old thing, a buddy of mine posted a picture on Facebook about a year ago that he was given prescribed these drugs by his dentist for a horrible toothache he was having, uh, like a post-tooth extraction thing, and he, they were cocaine tooth drops. So it still exists, because it's a really good local anesthetic. And then, you know, world's most famous crack addict. So... Ephedrine has been around for a long time um, in China. Pseudoephedrine is more recent. It's a banned substance uh, in, well, the Olympics are on right now. A Canadian rower, geez, in maybe 2000? Couldn't be 2000. Must have been sometime in the 90s. Uh, at the, uh, the, the Pan Am Games had her uh, gold medal taken away because she'd taken Sudafed. And she had a cold. And she took Sudafed. Uh, most athletes now know you don't ever, 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 ever just take some over-the-counter medicine. They, they, they go to the team doctor and say, what can I take? For the longest time in professional hockey, uh, players would take lots of Sudafed before games using the excuse that they're on the ice and they don't want to catch cold, which... Makes no sense at all. It's a stimulant. It's a stimulant that they don't so much anymore because of you know drug testing. <laughs> but NHL players did up until the late 1990s. Then when they were going to maybe, maybe go to the Olympics in 1998, basically the leagues had stopped taking the Sudafed, and they did. Chact, or whatever you want to spell it. Uh, like I said, it's, it's been around for ages. It's popular when it's refined in Russia, where it's, it's got the nickname, it's, it's got the street name Jeff, which is, I don't know. Oh, Jeff. You want some Jeff? I'm getting Jeff. That's, of course, the Tsar of Russia getting you Chact. Okay. All right, so it's interesting stuff. Um, 
for administration and absorption, if you take it orally, so that's basically taking a pill, and that's usually things like uh, dexedrine, dexedrine, typically given as appetite suppressants. Get a constant absorption, pretty much. You can inject it and snort it to get a bigger rush. Or you can smoke it. Now, smoking cocaine was around for a long time. Yeah, it was called freebasing. Um, it was exceedingly dangerous because it could explode. Which is, uh, I mean, you may not know the guy, very famous comedian Richard Pryor, ended up almost killing himself uh, because his, he lit his face on fire because he was snorting, uh, smoking uh, cocaine and exploded. Um, what an amazing comedian. So freebasing uh, was one way to smoke cocaine, but then someone figured out if you mix it together with like flour and baking soda and water and made a paste and they cooked it in the oven, it turns into these little rocks. And you can, that's great. You can sell small hits for small amounts of money. Right? So instead of having to have thousands of dollars to buy cocaine, you can now have small amounts of money for one hit, right? Smoking crack. And it, you know, it can. The last time someone said, "Do you want to buy some crack to me?" which was it's the strangest thing. When you're, you know you're out in the best part of town, when someone you're walking around, and I want to buy some crack, and you're like, "Wow, if that happened, I thought I was only on TV." Um, and you know, what, twenty bucks? Like, I, don't know. I don't know what crack costs. I don't want to know what crack costs, but I'm saying that seems pretty cheap to me. Uh, it's no more quote addictive than any other kind of cocaine. This is the great example of the moral panic thing. Cocaine was something that was mostly taken by more affluent people because they're expensive. Uh, crack wasn't. Uh, sorry, then crack comes along and suddenly people have this moral panic. And it's again, I, I, and I don't usually say these kind of things, but it seems pretty clear that it was like driven by white people worried that you know brown people were taking. You know that, like the, this, this in the states, not Canada, in the states, the same for crack cocaine. If you take a look at the, the length of time, is actually longer than it's for powder cocaine. It's the same freaking drug. And crack cocaine is smoked by black people more than by white people. That's sort of compared to snorting cocaine. Interesting. Wild, right? Kind of weird. Wonder why that happened. I'm not saying, by the way, I, I think it was necessarily done on purpose. I'm saying it's a symptom. So yeah, peak concentration from uh, amphetamine, somewhere between three, 30 minutes and three hours. This depends on who's uh, taking it. Yes. I shouldn't say probably more rapid than smoking. It is more rapid than smoking. So the hit you're going to get from smoking crack is not unlike the hit you get from snorting cocaine. They're both very fast. Crosses blood-brain barrier, crosses placental barrier, so you're giving your unborn baby cocaine. Keep that in mind. It's excreted in the urine, not surprising. I'm metabolized by the liver like almost everything is. 
Cocaine has a half-life of only about 40 minutes. So the amazing thing about cocaine, then, is that it feels great, but it's gone pretty quickly. Not, not unlike caffeine, right? Because caffeine, remember I said, somewhere between 30 minutes and three and a half hours, depending on the person. So it's, it's not unlike that where, see, so if you have a ready supply of cocaine around, you're just going to do coke all day. As it goes up, 40 minutes, half of it's gone. 80 minutes, you're down to a quarter. So an hour and a half, the, 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 the high is gone. So you do it again. If it's around. And it feels really good. So what do you do if you can't get any? Crime. Steal. Many of our societal problems are because of laws. He said editorializing. Um, so one of the things that amphetamines do, and chat does this as well, uh, and so does Ritalin, uh, is it causes actual leakage of uh, catecholamines, that's dopamine, epinephrine, and norepinephrine in the central nervous system, and histamine, uh, sorry, uh, the serotonin. So the catecholamines and serotonin. So even when the cells aren't firing, they're releasing neurotransmitter. That's what I mean by leakage. You get an increase in the amount of transmitter release upon firing. Now, ecstasy does this by targeting only Serotonin. Don't. Don't. Um, so the reason that ecstasy then ends up, like I said, so it, 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 it is a, a, a stimulant, but when we talk about LSD, you'll note that LSD, in a lot of respects, basically is just serotonin. mimic serotonin. So basically you get a whole bunch of serotonin, you hallucinate. And one of the things that happens, of course, is you feel really, really, really good. You think ecstasy again, this is not ecstasy again, this is Cocaine blocks reuptake and nothing else. All the cocaine does is block reuptake of dopamine. Oh, more dopamine. What does the reward system run on again? Oh, yeah, dopamine. I wonder why cocaine feels good. In the peripheral nervous system, uh, you get the release of epinephrine. And that's with everything... Yeah. So you can see why it's a performance answer. All of these are. 
and they're banned. They're not controlled substances uh, for athletic competition. They're banned. So you take your steroids. This is how the Russians work. You take your steroids for a while. You get big, big and strong like a bull. And then, for competition, you take a little bit of stimulant, and then you submit your fake urine. And then you have to compete under the Olympic flag. That, that's really, boy, the International Olympic Committee is really putting it to the Russians. Eh? You can still come, but you can't bring your flag. We taught them we have to call you Olympic athletes from Russia, not Russia. They should be forced to call themselves cheating cheaters from cheater stand. It's not fair to most of them, but it'd be kind of funny. Um, so, yeah. And by the way, what I just described, that's basically how the Russians worked at Sochi. Like, it was all set up. They even found the World Aid Doping Agency has literally found little false doors in bathrooms where they take out the, take your, take out the person's urine and put in clean urine. Oh, no, it's there. It was state run cheating. By our friend Vladimir Putin. I don't know why this is here. I just think it's a pretty picture. Um, basically, the notion here is this is ecstasy uh, causing going up here, okay, and that's grabbing onto a snare protein. That's why it looks like a snare in that pretty, and pulling out serotonin. That's basically how ecstasy works. Also, apparently, the next neuron has a carpet on it, uh, which is interesting. What's in a carpet, right? Most neurons are covered in myelin, but some neurons are covered in broad bloom, in wall-to-wall carpeting. Now, that, that, that picture is actually pretty accurate. In the same website from um, a Scare, Don't Scare, You Don't Take Drugs website, I forget what it's called. I think it's called Don't Take Drugs Because They're Bad and You Will Die.com. I found this wonderful brain scan. It doesn't tell what kind of brain scan it is. I love that. It just says brain scan. And it says, look at the difference between normal and former ecstasy user. Now, by the way, over time, take drugs habitually for very long because it's not been bad for you. Nobody's denying that. But the wonderful thing about this is, all it said is, note the brain difference in the brain scan. I don't even know what we're measuring here. And... I don't know what kind of scan this is. I just think it's fascinating. So that's the only reason that's there. Um, one of them is so I think I, I want you. To, the point of this is I want you to be critical about your sources. A lot of times people love. We all love the online stuff. It's easier. But when things aren't academic, a lot of times what you end up having is what are in essence propaganda sites, fake news, um, and. <clears throat> Why do we say fake news? Why can't we say lie? That's a lie. I will. It's lie-ish. It's lie-esque. Does long-term ecstasy use have an effect on your serotonergic, serotonergic neurons? Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. No one's denying it. Anyway, that's why that's there. So don't be afraid of it. I'm not saying I want y'all to be on ecstasy all the time. I'm just saying that be very critical of the stuff you look at. 
I should say accumbens. I thought I edited that this morning. Okay. It increases the release of dopamine in the accumbens, not the accumbens, which is a part of the brain that does not exist. The nucleus accumbens, the accumbens. That's the reward system. These all end up... Notice how we all had an increase in dopamine. We're going to have an increase then in dopamine in the accumbens and in other parts of the reward system. One of the interesting things that cocaine does is it actually blocks... Okay, don't do that. Um, sodium ion channel, so it acts as a local intercept. The other uh, drugs don't do that, by the way. Cocaine's kind of special. Oh, jeez, I'm so tired of this. See, I think it's my cable's fault, too, which makes me even more angry. Because if I could blame somebody else for this, I'm, that makes me happy. Just... All right. So your heart rate's going to increase. That's the increase in epinephrine, right? That's the epinephrine of the peripheral nervous system going to increase your heart rate. Um, you got dilation of blood vessels. Epinephrine is released when your sympathetic nervous system kicks in, fight or flight, which is epinephrine. Basically, what this is doing in your peripheral nervous system is it's doing. It's having the same end effect as, as, as your fight or flight response kicking in. So people will get a little paranoid when they've taken a little too much. They will get ready to fight. Makes sense, right? Our, our epinephrine does that in the peripheral nervous system and when it acts as a hormone uh, in, this, in the sympathetic system. People report headaches. They report a dry mouth. That's, again, a sympathetic, a sympathetic system type thing. If you've ever had your sympathetic nervous system kick in in an accident or badly hurts, your mouth gets very dry. You'll lose weight. Um, the weight loss part of this, part of it is the fact that because your sympathetic nervous system's kicked in and your heart's beating faster and everything's moving more quickly, part of it is because you don't want to eat. Because why eat? I'm not getting any reinforcement from eating that I can't get from cocaine. So maybe I'll take that instead. Of course, it's going to disrupt your sleep. Uh, when you stop, you get REM rebounds. So as we've heard many times, uh, many different drugs, messes with your REM, but you get REM rebound. You're going to spend more time in stage one and two sleep. So like, oh, I like caffeine. Over the break, I'm getting a new cable. Or I'm going to just look at my basket full of cables I have at home. That I never throw anything out. My wife says, why don't you throw any of that stuff out? And then I say, well, remember when I fixed your computer last year? It's because I had like, an old cable. So no, I'm not throwing anything out. I'm really a peach to live with. Um, <laughs> behavioral effects are pretty interesting. And... So, the psychology part of this. Cocaine and speed, so cocaine and amphetamine, are pretty much indistinguishable to people taking them. Uh, unless they've snorted them, because speed doesn't uh, make your nose numb. So if you smoked or injected, it's the same thing. You feel good. You feel like you have all kinds of energy. It clears your mind. People report that. It's like they're focused. 
right? Like just like the Ritalin effect. One of my favorite descriptions of cocaine comes from the season finale, series finale of Mad Men. Because everything is about TV with me, and often it's about Mad Men. When Joan tries cocaine and she says, "Ooh, I feel like someone's giving me some very good news," that's, that's a pretty good description from what when I've seen people take cocaine. They seem exceedingly happy all of a sudden. You come down later. Makes sense. You're going to get the opposite effect. People will get what they call a rush, which is um, an intense drug-like reaction. Speed rush lasts longer than coke, which makes sense. The cocaine half-life is so short. Okay. One of the strangest behaviors you see with cocaine use is something called punding, which is a Swedish word, and that's all I know. But it's really weird stereotypical behavior. Um, I lived with two cocaine, not two, I guess really one cocaine user, one of my roommates when I started graduate school. And she'd have her cocaine friends over who were all very nice people. And they'd be up to like 6 o'clock in the morning doing cocaine. And this person said to me, Dave Man, because that was my nickname, which is a strange thing, um, did you want to do some coke? And I said, no, I'd rather not. Oh, okay. What if you smoked it? Would you do it if you smoked it? No, I don't want to do cocaine. Okay. So I woke up in the morning because um, I had a stats midterm. It's great hearing people cocaine party while you're trying to sleep because you have a stats midterm in your graduate school. And the midterm was only four hours long, so it wasn't like it was hard. It wasn't that hard. It was a lot of work. And I woke up, and they're getting ready to go to work because, well, responsible people go to work. Been up all night doing cocaine. Eventually became a, a rather high-powered executive in Toronto. So, I mean, this grew out of this, as most people do with drug problems. I shouldn't say most, a lot of people. Um, and I said, what's going on? Well, I washed all the glasses. I see I said, I see that. And they're lined up from largest to smallest in the cupboard. And this person said, yeah, it just seemed like the thing to do with it. <laughs> I said, okay. So that was when I first saw that. I didn't know it had a name. It's called punding. And it doesn't have to be glasses. It can be things like, I'm going to take out all my shirts then I'm going to rank them by how much I like them and the color and how many logos are on them. Interestingly, in, 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 in non-human animals, you will see stereotype behavior. So you'll see if you give uh, amphetamine to, to, to a rat, you will see it pace back and forth. You'll see that happen. It's a strange thing to see. And I mean, I've got to misspent youth as much as many people, probably more than many people. But that's what scared me away from cocaine. It's like, that's really weird that that seemed appropriate. There's nothing wrong with it. It's like, gee, the glass, that's kind of looks cool in a really creepy way, like we're in a horror movie. <laughs> you know?
You can get what's called amphetamine psychosis, which uh, you can also get from cocaine, which is called amphetamine psychosis. Um, this happily clears up because the, dope, the, ex, the increase in dopamine, which is probably what causes it, so there's a question mark, nobody's really sure. Well, actually, uh, antipsychotic drugs, things that stop the symptoms of schizophrenia, operate on dopamine receptors. Schizophrenia is a dopamine issue. It's not that society's labeling you, man. It's because you're doing dopamine in your brain. Um, and that's what's happening here. So people have psychotic-like reactions. This can lead to violent things, too, um, partially because you're at, you're, you're, your uh, sympathetic nervous system's kicked in. Most schizophrenics, on the other hand, aren't violent. So what we have here now is someone who's having paranoid delusions and their sympathetic nervous systems kick in, so they, 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 they more likely to be fine. The nice thing is this goes away. Your sensation actually gets more sharp. Uh, your flicker fusion rate goes up. So suddenly lights will flicker. Because all lights are flickering, right? because of the way alternating current works. So you know, 60 times a second, lights are flickering, but our flicker fusion rate is way less than 60 frames a second, 60 times a second, so they don't seem to flicker. But suddenly lights will seem to flicker, and they actually are flickering, you're just now able to notice it. Crazy. Oh, the other reason I didn't want to take cocaine is it seemed like my, my friend and her cocaine friends were getting the cocaine from very bad people. People that, they seemed pleasant enough when they came and delivered the cocaine and did a, a line with my friends. But I thought, they don't look trustworthy. I'm going to go up in my room, hide my wallet, and study. So it eliminates fatigue on reaction time. In other words, the fatigue effect. No matter if you're not taking drugs, if I do reaction time experiment on you over and over again, get you to say hit a button every time a light goes off, eventually you slow down because you get tired. It goes away. And in fact, in a flight simulator task, trained pilots make fewer mistakes when they're on small amounts of cocaine. See, but this is an overlearned task. Pilots train, they train, they train, they train, which is good because, you know, they're flying a plane. When you have an overlearned task, um, to a point, the more arousal, the better. For, for past yard experts in, it should be somewhere in the middle. You know the Yerkes Dotson law? I think I, another class I talked about. Yerkes Dotson law basically looks like this. That, so if we have uh, performance on the, well, that really helped. Now it looks like a P. Performance on the y axis and arousal on the x axis. Okay? This is the way it should be, right? 
So somewhere in the middle here, that's the sweet spot. That's where you want to be when you're writing a test. Just enough that you're like, come on, coach, put me in. You don't want to be over here because you're going to have a panic attack. You don't want to be over here because you go to sleep. On the other hand, when you're an expert at something, it looks a lot more like this. Now, eventually too much anxiety leads again to a panic attack and the whole thing. But if you look at, say, professional athletes playing in front of 20,000 people, playing hockey in front of 18, 20,000 people, no matter what anybody says, they're still going to be pumped up like crazy. But they've overlearned how to play hockey. They've trained so much that, that they don't have to ever think about it. Right? I doubt when Sidney Crosby skating down the ice, he thinks, okay, I'm going to deep left, then right. Like, that doesn't occur to him, he just does it. Same thing with a pilot. Pilots are overtrained. Right? Which is good, because I don't want to die in an airplane. So again, as I mentioned, athletic performance too. And Sudafed was a thing that professional well, hockey players especially took like crazy. Because they had the cover story of I don't want to get a cold because I'm on the ice. Yes, because playing in a heated arena where you can sit in the stands and literally watch a game in short sleeve shirt. Ooh, it's so cold, I'm afraid I'm gonna catch cold. And also colds don't work that way. I think a lot of them actually thought that because they were told by coaches, no, just take a whole package of Sudafed. Because players would do that. They would literally take a whole, like, 15 tabs of Sudafed. And again, you're, you, they've overlearned it. They practice. It's not like hockey players, professional hockey players that play, that, 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 that practice. They don't need to really practice a whole lot. Because they know how to skate, right? Most of those guys. They know how to shoot a puck. <laughs> they really know how to play the game, but they practice and practice. They're overlearning it. So non-humans, you get an increase in spontaneous motor activity, which I've talked about before. This shouldn't surprise us. The stereotypic behaviors I mentioned is it's probably the explanation for that weird punding behavior in humans. Whoops. Sorry about that. I didn't finish my point there. I said let's go back. Oh, wait. Oh, I said. I too far. Yes. One of the kind of sad things you'll see with, with, with animals that have taken, um, not taken, that are given large amounts of, um, say, amphetamine or cocaine is they, they, um, they hurt themselves. They'll, say, a rat will chew on its leg. Again, this may just be the stereotypic behavior. You get an increase in FI responding, fixed interval? Yeah, because you're your uh, clock is sped up, right? And a decrease in FR responding, which I don't understand, but there it is. Fixed ratio. I don't know why you would respond less when you're in a stimulant. Does, that actually literally doesn't make any sense to me. But the data always show this. And I've never seen anybody able to really explain it. Which one? The last part. The FR? Fixed ratio, they, they, they respond less on a stimulant when there's a fixed ratio schedule, which is strange. It doesn't follow to be the distraction But you wouldn't be distracted, you'd be more focused. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
quite ubiquitous, the result. It's pretty consistent. You get this weird dynamic effect, as it's called, increasing one, decreasing another, uh, with um, negatively reinforced behavior, too. Negative reinforcement is the removal of something that feels bad. So it's a, it's a reinforcement-based effect. I don't understand. Okay, I never have. Okay. More about non-humans. They'll get a dissociative effect such that learning something on the drug, let's say learning a maze, they don't remember it often. I believe the book says that, you know, when it talks about this, it says, you know, this probably isn't very good news for students who try to take speed to study. Your best bet is to be in exactly the same state psychologically, that includes pharmacologically, when you're studying as to when you're getting Right? That includes, like, sitting up at a desk, because you write sitting up at a desk. You don't write lying down in your sweatpants on your stomach. That is, however, how I mark your tests. I don't know that. I used to have an office at home, and I realized I just carry a laptop at an office. So that's now my wife's little art studio at home, because every part of my house is becoming an art studio. Where I look, it's like, oh, more art. It's like we have a gallery. It's kind of cool. But sometimes I look around and go, what happened here? Why is there... There's a light table in here. Start charging people to come in. I could do that. I've said we should put little cards and say how much they cost. Because somebody might want to buy some. I'd set up my daughter's room when she moved out with all my podcasting gear. Mics, mic stands, and the whole thing. And like three days later, there's a little light table and all kinds of art stuff. What's going on? But you had a whole room. Well, there's no room for this. I guess not. She got rid of studio space and we just literally the light table was put in the back of our car today. You didn't need to know that, but it was a little glimpse into my life. And again, I am not fun to live with. Um, rats, can yeah. rats can discriminate amphetamine and cocaine from saline. This shouldn't surprise you. They can discriminate from a, um, a placebo. Tolerance. Acute tolerance is tolerance within, so you got acute and to chronic tolerance. Acute tolerance is tolerance within a bout of drug taking. Okay? And chronic tolerance is between bouts of drug taking. That's the way to really define it. So acute tolerance deals very quickly to cocaine. So your brain adjusts very quickly to having all this extra dopamine. And also, it isn't just a physio... Well, it's all physiological at some point. But there's also what's called behavioral tolerance. So you get used to being on the drug. So now you need more of a hit to get the same effect. The appetite-suppressing effects eventually disappear. But interestingly and happily, so do the lethal effects. So... 
So the more cocaine you take or the more amphetamine you take, the less likely you are to OD on that drug. On the other hand, the amphetamine psychosis effect, the weird stereotypical behavior show negative tolerance. You now need less of the drug to get that same effect. Why is that? Is that some sort of sensitivity, some sort of behavioral sensitivity to the, the drug, some sort of physiological thing? I don't really know. I don't think anybody knows. But it's a documented thing. Withdrawal isn't bad. You get what's called, called letdown. It's just you're tired. And it's sort of slow. And you'll score close to being depressed on something like a back depression inventory. But the thing is, if you're an experienced user, you know this will go away. And it'll go away in 12 hours. Go to sleep for 10 of them. You'll be fine. So it's depression in that it looks like depression, but again, an experienced user will know that that's basically the price you're paying, and you're going to be fine later. <clears throat> All right. My daughter, TA, is having behavior at Western, and she just texted me that a student is asking her a question, and she doesn't know the answer. Maybe I can help her. <laughs> Kind of busy um, But then, then the next text message said, Oh, I think I understand the question. Okay, and of course, the starter rejected. Uh, speed. The, the, there's an interesting sort of um, people that take speed tend to do sort of a run and crash thing where they, they take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, and then bang, and go to sleep. Um, I go to sleep, and then they go to sleep for two and a half days. Okay, so it's that's why it's called run and crash. Or they like to take small doses. That says does. See, again, I, I could have sworn I fixed all these typos. Um, take these small doses of, of the drug. It's a different use pattern, is all. Speed, just amphetamine, is often injected, where something like crystal meth is, of course, smoked. Ecstasy, of course, is taken in, in pill form. See, it's nice because for four years I couldn't help her with her homework. She went to school here, and that would be unethical. Now I can help her, so it's funny. So, non humans, um, you can get monkeys to take amphetamine. They get kind of strung out. <laughs> so what happens is uh, they will push a bar and they'll get a little shot of effect. Okay. One of the things that monkeys will do is they'll do this run and crash thing. Basically, they'll get really high and then they'll stop for a while and mellow out for a while, like people tend to do. If they've learned that it's at a limited amount, they'll titrate their amount. So in other words, they'll do the same thing, like, for example, that a smoker does when they see that they only have five cigarettes and it's a snow day. Okay. 
One now, and one in two hours. The monkeys are basically doing the same thing. This is again the same thing that often. This is the same thing that happens with uh, with humans. If they have a small amount, they'll they'll, they'll titrate their dose, so they keep a sort of constant buzz going. And rats will self-administer these drugs, which makes complete sense because, in fact, it was some of the evidence if you talk we talked at the beginning of the course for the rewards uh, the reward-based model of drug treatment. Okay, there's bad things that can happen when you take these drugs. Uh, you can get liver damage from constantly metabolizing these drugs. Uh, paranoia is unpleasant, I imagine. That goes away. Right? The sort of psychosis part of it. You can hallucinate. Now, some people, now when you're taking ecstasy, part of the reason you take ecstasy is because, hey, I might see something cool or hear something cool. So, to some people, that's that gets good. I've never understood why having hallucinations was fun. I don't get it. I don't want to see or hear things that aren't there, but some people do. Uh, you can get tremors after long-term use, so you can't hold your hands steady, so it's this kind of thing. That's an epinephrine effect in the peripheral nervous system. Weight loss, some people take these drugs to lose weight. <laughs> effects are likely worse than the direct effects. In fact, I shouldn't say likely, almost certainly worse. When I say indirect effect, I mean that you have to buy these drugs from criminals. You have to go to a part of town where nice people don't go and buy it from not nice people, right? Everybody knows somebody didn't get weed from. Right? We all know, we all know a guy. Soon we'll all be able to just go to a store but we all know a guy, right? It's no problem. On the other hand, not everybody knows a guy to get cocaine from. And the guy you got to get cocaine from either is with the Hell's Angels or works with Tony Soprano. They aren't nice people. Right? So you have to go talk to somebody who's probably not reasonable. I always hear about drug deals gone bad. That's always a thing. Eh, drug dealing deal gone bad. You never hear about a drug deal gone good on the next day. Today, downtown, a drug deal went off without a hitch. Person wanted some cocaine, bought it, and was pleasantly surprised to get some bonus cocaine. What happened? Bonus cocaine. So the indirect effects are pretty bad. Because um, you definitely... You also start devoting your life to cocaine. This stuff feels really good. You want to work with crystal meth or whatever. Uh, and as we saw in that documentary, that, though that was about opiates, um, there's other things to worry about. So should I pay my rent or should I get more cocaine? Probably get more cocaine. It's a really bad choice that a lot of people make. Right? So that you can make crime to have money to... Uh, bad. Are there birth defects from taking cocaine, actually it's probably more likely that the birth defects that people find, uh, when, you, when you factor out the other uh, drugs people are taking, the alcohol and the cigarettes, 
it's the alcohol and the cigarettes that are causing more of the drug defect, the, the birth defects than the cocaine is, or the, or the meth is. I'm not saying if you're pregnant, you should say, well, I can't drink anymore. Well, you shouldn't do that. What I'm saying is those drugs are worse. People talked about when crack, again, hit the scene in the, in the sort of mid-80s. There's going to be these babies born that are crack babies. They'll be impossible to deal with in schools. And they'll be all crazy crack babies. And they'll grow up to be crazy crack adults. Didn't happen. What happens is people that are born to mothers who are poor do more poorly. Oh, really? That's a surprise. Because they don't get this good nutrition. They don't have as good medical care. When you factor that out, it's not the crack, it's the indirect effects of living in a situation where mom's smoking crack. But it's not the crack itself. Again, I'm not saying crack's safe when you're pregnant. I'm saying it's that's not what's causing any problems with the baby, per se. Because when you take, some kids, of course, get adopted out. When studies have looked at adopted kids versus kids that have stayed with the with the mom who had a drug problem, and again, specifically crack, um, kids are fine. That had it, their environment changed. People are pretty resilient. You can overdose. It's harder to overdose on a stimulant than it is on a depressant, but it can be done. Okay, so treatment options. First, detox, obviously. This is where contracting, again, I've talked a lot about contracting. It's a really interesting approach, and it works like this. You get a drug test every week, and if you get a positive drug test, I'm going to tell you, or and it works up a ladder up to finally telling somebody that would affect you materially. Right? I'm going to tell your dad or your mom, because you should be top of the list, because usually you don't want to tell your mom or your dad, that if you're, unless you're living with them, they don't. There's been some um, mixed results using antidepressants. Um, why is it mixed? Well, the idea of using antidepressants to do this, to, to treat cocaine use or to treat meth use, is that people are taking these drugs because they're depressed. So they're self-medicating. The problem is that most people that are taking these drugs are actually not depressed. So giving them antidepressants, it's going to help some people, but it's not going to help everyone. So the sort of behavioral approaches work that work better than anything so far. Right. Questions? No? And now we've done cocaine. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh,
for listening to the lecture. Um, all of the audio is available, of course, on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for da uh, Dr. Dave Brodbeck's uh, Psychology Lectures from Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a sh uh, uh, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, Often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>